When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I'm absolutely fired up for the biggest three hours of sport that we can wrap our heads around this morning. What a performance from the Aussies last night. I I loved it. How much better is a low-scoring game of ODI cricket than 400-plus and everyone's just slogging it over the fence? So the exact reason we need to spice up the pitches, we need to limit the thickness of bats, we need to push the boundary ropes back, and we need to make things more even for the bowlers, as we saw last night. That was thrilling, one of the best sporting contests that I've seen in a while. And the Aussies have done a remarkable job to turn their campaign around. Tim Payne is going to join us very, very shortly to tell us all about that. And India are unbeatable. I'm, I'm just calling it. No, no one is beating India, but it's been a remarkable performance to get to the final. Hopefully, Tim can be a bit more glass half full than what I am Right now, the draft's happening on Monday. Mickey Ablett, who better to talk about uh, that and preview that for us? If you've got a draft question about a player who you think your club should take, 0433981116 is the number. Dave Matthews, I reckon the Giants have been absolutely stitched up with their draw. I think they were one of the real losers off the back of it. Only one Thursday night game, they copped another brutal travel schedule with trips to Perth, Mount Barker. The SCG, Geelong, Tassie, Adelaide, Brisbane and Ballarat. So off the back of what they did last year, and we all love watching them play. I understand they're not a high-drawing team, but uh, the CEO of the Giants, Dave Matthews, perhaps he's got a more positive spin on that than I, but I reckon they were stitched up. So I said, get me Dave Matthews from the Giants. Mitch delivered. Uh, We'll speak to him about that, but also a whole host of other things relating to the game. Fitzmagic's in the house, as always. That is a busy McCafe menu. They are our official a coffee partner, and we're here for state transport, of course. Our people are your solution. And for the Sports Bet Ballarat Cup, book now country.racing.com.ballarat. It's my last Friday for the year. Uh, so, what I have done this week, I've compiled um, some awards. So, we're going to um, give away some awards this morning, very prestigious awards. Perhaps we'll call it the Volcano Awards this morning, but I've got all sorts of categories. Would love for you to get involved, one 736 736 We'll do that shortly, and uh, you can have your say right throughout the next three hours. But let's talk some cricket, because this is how the Aussies won through to the World Cup final last night. Stark to complete the first over, Bowles, and Bavuma edges, and he's caught! Australia gets the skipper for a duck! With Bowles, big shot, up in the air from cock down the ground, it carries... And caught, Cummins brought back, got under it, tumbles as he takes the catch. Up to him now and bowls in the air and caught! Brilliantly caught by Water at backward point. South Africa lose a third. Hazelwood bowls, and it's an edgy gone. South Africa four down, and the Australians are on fire here at Eden Gardens. He's over the wicket now to the right hander. Yeah, got him! Travis Head bowls Clarkson! The stumps explode! 
head, bowling to Janssen. Who's hit on the pad? That's very close. Has to be out. He's out. It is two in a row for Travis Head. Rabana. Bang, down the ground. Ports. Glenn Maxwell diving catch at long on. And that finishes South Africa at 212. Rabana bowls. Warner. Oh. Bang, down the ground. Is he seen them sweetly? Oh, and he's knocked over Warner. Warner goes for 29. Rabana to Head. Oh. He goes big over long on. Another six. Super 87 Australia head, clubs it in the onside, out through mid-wicket, pull shot for four, and that's 50 to Travis Head. Maharaj to Head, is bowled! First bowl from Maharaj through the gate, and the stumps are exploding again. Maxwell. Oh, bowl! Tried a huge hike across the line, and missed it cold. Smith all straight up in the air, swinging across the line. It's up in the heavens. It lands in the gloves of the cut. And Smith goes at a key moment. Stark drives hard through the onside fields. It scurries away for four. Australia within touching distance now. Two to win. Cummins with a short ball. Guides it away through point to the boundary. The captain with the winning runs. A nervy chase for Australia, successfully navigated and off to another World Cup final. It's a further haunting night for South Africa at the hands of Australia. But the 2023 World Cup final will be a heavyweight encounter as Australia books its place alongside India. Magnificent work from the SEN cricket commentary team who stayed up late to deliver one of the better calls you'll hear. What a game it was. A little bit nervous, but let's get the thoughts of our next guest. He's, of course, the former Australian test captain and SEN Tassie breakfast host, Tim Payne. Is his name. Payne, thanks for your time. Morning, Kane. How are you? You got a shirt on? I do, mate. I do. Um, I was a bit stitched up there, to be honest, for, for those who have seen that. It was bloody hot up there, but I, I was actually taking it off when we were off air. Okay. Just to cool down a little bit, and then I was coming back into the studio, putting it on and sitting in front of the camera, and our smart Alec young producer in here, Hamish, uh, cut it up together, but... Uh, I, I was actually told, Kane, a few stories about you back in the day in Adelaide. You might have done the same thing a few times when SEM was very new. I may, I may have been caught doing a few stupid things like that, Paddy, and the, the microphone and the cameras now is always on. So Can't get so away with anything. that's a trick. Anything. What a performance. Like, I, I was just captivated by the way we started. I mean, if there was one criticism over our campaign, it was the form of probably Cummins and, and Stark. But yep. geez, didn't they bowl well last night? And it was helped by the pitch that was spicy. Yeah, they did. It was well, it looked like in the end it was a good toss to lose, wasn't it? We, they've chose to bat. And as, as you touched on, I think throughout the whole tournament, we've struggled probably... In an area we didn't think we would, which was taking early wickets with Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins. And I thought um, last night, particularly the first two, Stark and Hazelwood um, just delivered, you know, terrific spells. Uh, and that's what you've got to do to win big games on the big stage. You need your best players to turn up. And, and two of those big boys, those first sort of eight or nine overs were absolutely spot on. And, um, and they set up the game uh, for the rest of the crew to, to finish it off later on. Tell me about the momentum you can gain in the field. Like, I'm sure you would have a meeting before you start your bowling innings every time. You say, we want to be on our toes, we want to be up and about, we want to be enthusiastic. But that's not always the case. Last night, like Warner was hunting. Uh, Cummins yep. took a great catch. The amount of 
quick singles that we save, diving everywhere. As the keeper, what is it like when you have that momentum as a fielding side? Yeah, it's magnificent. And, and you don't feel it as much as a fielding side, but I tell you what, you feel it as a batter. And you feel it as the next in batter. And, and the, the message that sends to the guys that are sitting waiting to come out and bat or, or bowl later in the afternoon is that is that these guys are on. It's a bit like in footy, it's your, it's your pressure, it's your tackling, it's your chasing, it's the things that aren't noticed. Footy, uh, cricket, fielding is, is purely attitude and effort. Every guy in that Australian team is a very, very good fielder. There's probably Marnus, Smith and Warner who sit, set the bar a little bit higher than everyone else. Uh, and Marnus in particular has been outstanding throughout the World Cup. But it's looked like at times he's been you know, on his own a little bit, if, if you wanted to, to say that. He's the one that set the tone and been trying to drag people along. And um, last night I thought was by far our best fielding performance. Uh, but that is the bar that the, these guys would set for themselves all the time. I think in World Cups... They are building nicely. India have been amazing throughout the whole tournament. The Aussies just seem to be getting better and better. And I thought last night the intent and energy around our fielding was a really good sign for where the team's at, um, as I said, a bit like in footy with your pressure and your tackling. Yeah, we'll get to India in a moment. We'll ask you the question whether they're beatable or not. But another good sign, like Zampa's been probably the bowler of the tournament with with Hazelwood, but he was, you know, wasn't at his best last night. And the captaincy to bring Travis Head on when Pat Cummins did, that was a yep. masterstroke, really. Yeah, it was. I, know, I was just talking off air um, down here. It's, it's funny, I was watching that live last night, and when he brought Travis Head on, it was a gutsy move because Heinrich Klaassen and, and David Miller were in. They were forming a bit of a partnership, and they're probably two of their most dangerous and best players of spin. And... Um, and for Pat Cummins to throw Hetty the ball. I mean, Hetty can bowl. Hetty's got some skill. He bowls a beautiful off-spinner. It's just mm. in amongst a little bit of rubbish, which a part-timer can do. But he can bowl balls that can get very good players out. And we saw that last night. But uh, we were having a laugh before because it, one of the biggest things on social media that was picked up last night, if you were on it, was that Ricky Ponning and Aaron Finch were sitting in the commentary box and, and said, oh, I think it'd be a good time for, to bowl Travis Head, potentially. And that became the story on social media, not the fact that Pat Cummins, the man... <laughs> Yeah. under the heat and having to make the decision and and make a big call and bring Travis Head on didn't get as much credit as which which I thought he should have gotten I thought it was a it was a super call it was a gutsy call and it paid off and obviously Travis Head delivered for him in spades are you happy with Inglis into the side I mean a handy 28 it hasn't been his best but uh, Alex Carey was was uh, surpassed I guess earlier in the tournament was it the right move uh yeah I think it was now, I, I was surprised at the time. I was surprised at the timing. It's very unusual for me that you'd go into a World Cup with a guy who'd play one game and then you would make a change. It, it tells me that they were, they were on a knife's edge which way they wanted to go, probably in the lead-up in that first game. And um, I know Josh Inglis is, is extremely highly regarded, certainly as a wicketkeeper, but, but he is probably spoken about as one of the better players, better natural players of spin around the country. And by that, I mean, he's not a guy who... Uh, he can reverse sweep and paddle sweep and do all that stuff, but he doesn't have to do that. You, you see someone like Marnus at the moment, he's not as a natural a scorer against spin. So last night he's trying to reverse sweep, whereas Josh Inglis has got really skillful hands, really fast feet, and he can score to lots of different um, areas of the ground against spin. So I think that's why he's probably gone ahead of Alex in the World Cup, given the conditions in India that we're likely to face. And he's someone that last night didn't set the world on fire with his... He's 28 off 49, 49 balls, but it was really crucial stage of the game. Uh, and he'll be super, super important next game when I think India could potentially pick th three spinners against us. 
The Aussies knocked off South Africa again in the semi-final by three wickets there through to the final on Sunday, chasing their sixth uh, ODI uh, World Cup title. Uh, tell me about how hard the tailenders work at their craft, because not for the first time Pat Cummins has made handy runs. We know that Stark can bat, and, and in the end, last night was probably the difference. Yeah, it was, and, and these boys can all bat. That's the beauty of the Aussie. We've seen Adam Zamper. I can't remember who the game was against, but he came in and made a really handy 28. It might have been Afghanistan when when, when we're in trouble. Um, and all of these guys, it's like all bowlers love batting. You can't get them out of the nets. Most of the time, it's a, tr it's a bit of an issue to try and get them to practice some defense and, and some stuff to actually get them better rather than try and hit every ball for six. But um, Pat Cummins is an established batter. Mitchell Stark's an established batter. Adam Zamp is dangerous, and, and even Josh Hazelwood, if you don't have a third bat, he'll hit you for four there every day. He glides everything off the face of the bat. So it's certainly handy, and, and in tight games like last night where you know it's 213 to 213, every run counts in tricky conditions when you're chasing small totals, and um, I think that was probably one of the, the major differences in the game. We need to learn a bit out of last night. It was a thrilling game, low-scoring game. More interesting, Payne. Like, the, Absolutely. the 400s are nice, and everyone loves the batsmen teeing off. But the bats are thicker, the boundaries are smaller, the, the pitches are flatter. It becomes a little bit boring. I don't want it to be like tennis, where everyone stands yep. at the back of the court and just whacks it. No one does anything different anymore. I don't want that for cricket. I think it's a lesson for us, is it not? Yeah, it is, and, and certainly for the 50-over game, which which is under some pressure, let's be honest. And, and, I, and I love cricket and I love watching cricket, but at times this World Cup, I've just been like, well, I'll go and do something else for 10 overs because I know they're going to be around 300 at 40 and then I can watch them slog for the last 10. And, and we see enough of batting dominated games in T20. That's what that format of the game is. We want to see the ball flying over the fence and, and sixes and boundaries left, right and centre. But I think 50 over is still that, that mix between 2020 and test cricket. And I actually think the key is the pitch. The size of the bats and all that, that, that doesn't matter. The size of the ground even. If you can make a wicket for 50 over cricket that gives bowlers a chance and makes batters actually have to show their skill at first rather than just be able to come out and just club balls off length because the bounce is so true, there's no swing in their seam, it can be a little bit boring. Uh, and I think for the 50 over game to continue and even thrive, I think we want to be seeing more scores of 200, 250. That's about the ballpark score for me. Uh, where you see who the really good players are and who the really good bowlers are when, when conditions are actually testing them. Does India have a weakness at all? It's hard to find one. No, they don't, if I'm totally honest. I, yeah, I, I cannot find one. And, and they could even make a change and bring another spinner in. Ashwin um, hasn't been playing for them, the right arm off you, who's got a great record against Australia. Oh, their batting's superb. They've got finesse, they've got power, they've got skill, they've got depth. And then the same with their bowling. They've got Boomer, who's got you know really weird angles and can swing the ball both ways. He bowls high speed. He can bowl at the start. He can bowl at the end. They've got uh, Siraj. They've got Mohammed Shami, uh, Jadeja, yeah. Cold Deep. So it just keeps coming. There's no weaknesses, but but they are beatable. And and I, and I said this morning on our show down here in Tasmania. Man for man, they've probably got more bases covered than us, and they're probably playing a little bit better. But Australia's got six or seven guys and on any given night can blow any team out of the park. If Mitchell Stark gets it right and swings the ball up front, he's a nightmare for Virat Kohli, and he's a nightmare for Rohit Sharma. They don't like the ball swinging in, particularly when it's 150 Ks and, and coming from a six-foot-eight left armour. Mm. So hopefully the ball can swing. If we can get any movement at the start, we can crack open through their top order, then we're a chance. But if we're not taking early wickets against India, 
you have very little hope of restricting them to under 350, which um, which is ridiculous to say, but they just keep posting 350 plus and then their bowling is so good that they, they create holes and, and opportunities in your batting lineup. Hard to do as well when they can just order the kind of pitch that they want. Yes, and, and if you believe it, even toss the coin from what I've read overnight. And, and uh, But look, India have always had control of international cricket. This is nothing new. Um, it comes up all the time in these tournaments. And, you know, I've heard a lot of teams throughout the World Cup say it's, it's felt more like a, an Indian series than, a, than an international event. But, um, you know, that, that's the way international cricket has always been. All the money is in India. They will wield a hell of a lot of power. And they don't mind using it. Uh, what I will say, though, is the semi-final wicket they did play on that, that there was a fair bit of criticism around was, you know, there was 700 and something runs scored on it, so it wasn't too bad. Um, all you can ask in a World Cup final is it's fair for both teams and you and you don't want the toss to dictate the result too much. I think there's always a slight preference to bat first in India because it, it can spin and stay a bit, little bit low, but um, as long as it's, it's fair for both teams and I think we'll have, you know, one of the all-time great contests come Sunday night. You won't change uh, the batsman's style now, but are you happy with Head just going as hard as he is gone? And, and Warner's uh, done that for the best part of 15 yep. years. Mitch Marsh is the same and, and Maxwell's the same. Is that the right strategy just to go hard from, from ball one? It, it is if, if the wicket's really flat. Again, I think you saw last night when there's a wicket, there's a little bit in it. You might have to adjust that on the fly, but th- these are you know high-level players and they'll play what's in front of them. I think Hetty and Mitch Marsh, regardless of the wicket, will go really hard and they're going to have to, and we're going to need one of them to come off if we're to post a total or to chase a total that um, against the side, the quality of India. I think you see David Warner, he, he, he came out of the blocks last night, but he's someone who'll go through the gears and, and play what's in front of him. Steve Smith's the same, Marnus is the same. Uh, and Josh Inglis is, you know, is another one that can go reasonably hard or play um, a bit more of a role what's in front of him. So it will depend a little bit on the wicket, but in certainly in our top three, expect Travis Head and, and Mitchell Marsh to continue to try and take um, the bowlers on and, and put them under pressure. And, and if they can do that, that is, that is the only way you will beat India. If you, if you sit and try and defend them, They'll, they'll eat you for breakfast. You've got to get on the front foot and throw the first punch, and I think Travis Head and, and Mitch Marsh are a huge part of doing that for us. Hey, Payne, loving your work, mate. You're doing an outstanding job down there in Tassie and contributing up here as well. Appreciate it, and let's hope for a cracker on Sunday. Yeah, let's absolutely hope so. Can't wait to watch it. Tim Payne, the former Aussie Test captain there. You can catch him um, on SEN Tassie, uh, and he'll be on with us on SEN from time to time as well. Loving his work. Now, you can catch every ball of Sunday's Cricket World Cup final between India and the Aussies live on SEN from 7 p.m., that's Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on Sunday. Jared Waitley, Damien Fleming, and the rest of our terrific crew will lead the charge from there. Kane Corns in for Sammy Edmund for the captain's run, turning the clock back this morning. Got great prizes to give away for the caller of the morning, one 736 736 So give us a call to go in the running for that. Uh, heaps of text coming through off the back of the chat with Paney. Um, this one... Corn, how can you let Tim's comments on India controlling the coin toss slide through? What was with that comment? Well, it is a report on Fox Sports about a Pakistani bowler who has claimed that the Indian captain, Rohit Sharma, purposely tossed the coin in a way that rolled away from the toss and meant the opposition captain couldn't see the outcome of the toss for themselves. So in Wednesday's match, New Zealand captain Kane Williamson took the match referee's word about the toss as the coin had come to rest several metres away. 
Well, that's some sort of. Do you believe that? Double three ninety eight eleven. Do you think it's gone that far that the the skippers tossed the coin away from Kane Williamson, and then the match referees has picked it up and called heads or tails, whatever it was, and you just take them at their word. I I find that a bit hard to believe, but anyway, happy to have your thoughts. It, you know, they they are controlling pitches, so now there's the thought they're controlling the coin costs. Uh, oh, just muck that up. That's a tough one. The uh, coin toss uh, to get that one right. We're going to do our Captain's Run Awards for 2023 on the other side of this. I would love for you to get involved. It is my last Friday for the year, and I've got an extensive list of award winners, but it doesn't happen without you. So... Great prizes to give away. You'll get straight through. We'd love you to join in. You can have your say on the fixture. I've called the winners, the Blues, the Suns, and the Cats. I did watch that a little bit from afar, but (laughs) you don't want to be pressured by necessarily the media narrative. But what I can say about Nicky is that he's done a terrific job for his um, three years with me, four four years in total. He's got the respect of our playing group. Uh, He's got a good group of... uh, He's building a good culture and got good assistance around him. Uh, Yeah, I think he's doing a really good job. We we haven't put a timeline on a a contract extension. It's something that we'd we'd pick up in the future. That was the Adelaide CEO, Tim Silvers, when he was asked on SA about whether or not they are ready to extend the contract of coach Matthew Nix. And I've got to say, I love the answer. I mean, way too many clubs get sucked in by handing coaches contract extensions 12 months before they need to. I mean, do you think Luke Beveridge would be the coach of the Western Bulldogs if they didn't get sucked in to give him a contract extension 12 months out from when they needed to, which leads them to the position where they're holding a review on the week that everyone else is returning to pre-season training. Like, well, that, well, that was ridiculous. So uh, I think Tim Silvers has learned, as he said there, from the way that Port Adelaide put a timeline on Ken Hinckley and that forced them to re-sign him prior to the final series. And also, I mean, so many examples of that, but none more so than, than Luke Beveridge at the Western Bulldogs. So Crows fans, would you extend Matthew Nix's contract? And if you are a club that is just a little bit unsure whether... This is the guy for the long, long term. I don't think there's anything wrong with waiting it till at least the halfway point. He's got 12 months to go. Why would you do what the Western Bulldogs did and extend Matthew Nix a year out from when you need to when you get yourself in a position like this? The awards are coming up. Your calls, the fixture dropped yesterday. What did you think? I called the winners, the Blues, Gold Coast and the Cats. I thought the biggest losers out of it were the Eagles, the Giants and the Hawks. Richard is on the line. You want to join in with my awards this morning, Richard? You got one? Yes, I'd like to launch with this one, Kane. I'd like to. I'd like to have an award for the club that did the best trading over the past twelve months without having to sign stupid dollars and seven-year contracts. And I believe that the winner is Collingwood. <laughs> so the Collingwood Award. For the team, no, we have to call it, we can't call it the Collingwood Award. I've, I've tried to be a little bit creative with the names, but your award for the team that did the best in the trade period without getting sucked into $1.5 million contracts for the likes of Ben Mackay and Aaron Norton sort of long-term deals and Marby Old Chole getting four years. Like, there's some ridiculous things that happened. You just think the Pies went about it nicely. Got Lockie Schultz in, and, and they're better. So that, that's your award this morning. I like it. I'll put you back to Mitch. He'll find you a prize this morning. Richard, thanks for kicking us off this morning. Let's go to Brisbane and speak to Pat. What do you think of the fixture, Pat? 
Hey, Kane. How are you, mate? Good. That's good. Yeah, look, oh, look. first of all, I don't want to sound like I'm a Brisbane Lions supporter that's like, ring up complaining, but because, yep. so, you know, I accept the fact and acknowledge that we've got some really good prime time games that are awesome for our club, for the supporters up here to get the exposure. But just, just a couple of things. The five games in Victoria over the whole season, you think the AFL could have managed just like a bit more than that, with only two being at the MCG. I just, I really feel, now I'm based in Brisbane, so, yep. but I really feel for the Fitzroy supporters here. Every year they get the roar into the bargain, they get promised sticks, and you know, and more, more minimum sticks, but it doesn't happen. And also the Lions getting the hardest draw. Fair enough, I knew it would be, it would be a hard draw, but then you look at Collingwood, they've got the fourth hardest draw, then you look at GWS, the sixth hardest, Carlton mm. is the eighth hardest, Melbourne is the tenth hardest. So, yeah, I just a little bit confused, Kane, on a few things in it. But yeah, no, I can I can understand that. So so the Lions have got uh, three Thursdays, three Fridays, which is great. They've got uh, Gold Coast, Collingwood, GWS, Melbourne, the Saints and Adelaide twice, the buy in round two and 14. Uh, but four trips to WA and SA, so four really long trips there. As you said, just two games on the MCG in a really difficult draw. So commercially, it's nice uh, in the prime time stage six times up until round 16. So uh, if their form continues, they'll probably get a couple more after round 16. But I, I do sympathise with interstate clubs that don't get the exposure to the MCG, which Brisbane clearly need, although it didn't affect them too much on grand final day. I get you. Uh, if, if they win it, I mean, it, it's almost 10 to 15% harder been Brisbane with the travel before you even start. So if an interstate team wins the premiership, it is a remarkable achievement. There's no doubt about that. The, the, the favouritism for the Melbourne teams is just there. Nothing we can do about it, but it's just an absolute fact. And anyone who argues differently um, is not doing it with uh, no bias at the forefront of their mind. Gary's in Lara. You want to speak about uh, Tim Silvers' comments on Matthew Nix. They're just not extending his deal yet, Gary. I liked it. What do you think? Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, yep. before we get to that, Kane, I just I think you said this is your last show for the year. Well, you know, thanks for last show on the Friday. You've done a terrific job. Good on over you, mate. That year. And I'm still in, in, in awe when you ran from Adelaide to Melbourne. <laughs> Honestly, I wake up every morning and I think, gosh, that poor bugger did it. We might be going again next year, Gary. We might we might oh, be going no. again. Yes, we're, we're, go, we're it, going Kane? again. We're going to you do unreal. some things a little bit differently, but we're going to go again. So looking forward to that on uh, next September. You are, a, you are a star, I tell you. But back onto this. I mean, look, the power did it last year, didn't they? Koshy yes. was suffering from relevant deprivation syndrome. <laughs> so he comes on. Oh, no, we won't do anything until August, everybody. So August comes around. Next thing you know, he's in the gun. He's got to reappoint him. We said, hang on, hang on, Koshy. There's a final series to go now. Yeah. And we know what happened there, and that can happen, and that's unfortunate. But but look, about Nixie, he hasn't delivered. He hasn't been a gun coach. So why well, would yeah, you no, look, I, look, look, he's been he's been impressive, and everything looks good. But everything looked good at Fremantle twelve months ago as well. Like Justin Longmuir, you, you're not going to get the club to come out right now. I think he's out at the end of next year. The club's not going to come and sign him for an extra two years now, twelve months before they need to even though things they won a final the previous year. So who knows what happens uh, with Adelaide. There's just no need. No one's going to come and poach Matthew Nix. You don't, no one was going to go and poach Luke Beveridge. You don't need to sign them prematurely. Just wait until at least the halfway point of the year or, or even longer. And, yeah, clubs have been burnt by that. You mentioned Port Adelaide and 
and the Western Bulldogs. So, Gaz, appreciate your thoughts. A lot of people want to have their say on this. Susan, just hold the line. Mix on the Gold Coast as well. We're taking your calls on the fixture. When is the right time to extend your coach? If you are Adelaide, when would you do it for Matthew Nix? Would you just hold fire? The same can be said uh, at Fremantle as well. And I'm just reading that the Herald Sun, John Ralph's been doing a pretty good job working through each of the teams and looking at uh, where their list is at. He says the Giants have the best list on paper. Is that accurate? Who's got the best list on paper? Tankhorn's in for Sammy Edmund. Big show still to come. And loving your calls as well. As always, one 736 736 is the number. You can send us a text. That's all thanks to Temper. The most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper a mattress like... No, other Mick Ablett's going to join us. We'll speak about the draft with him. Dave Matthews is the CEO of the Giants. I reckon they've been stitched up with their fixture. Fitzmagic, Fitzmagic, that is, Miles Fitzner, to talk all things racing, but we'll have some fun with him and still some good prizes to give away for the callers of the morning. We're loaded. Five calls. Let's whip straight through them. Susan's been waiting patiently. Susan, what's your thoughts? Hi, Ken. As it's your last day today, I Just thought I'd share Friday, something with Susan. you. Just last Friday, Susan. Tell me about it. I was selected with, uh, by, by Tim and Gary uh, mm-hmm. for the Harlux. So I'll be meeting them on the 1st of December. I've been, ever since then, I don't know why I've been dreaming about these two young men. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say old. Anyway, so this, I watched the cricket till 4.30 in the morning, and my dream today was that Gary and Tim came to my house uh, to do the SEN show. And guess what? Tim what? came back from Paris with all his hair. So <laughs> at first, and he had a beautiful tan. But I said, this is not Tim. He's got all, the, all his hair. What have he done? So Tim grew, his, Tim grew his hair in Paris. That's what you had a dream about, Susan. Uh, unbelievable, the things we do dream about. But good luck. So how many in the running for the, the Hilux, which is drawn next month? I th- well, they said 43, and okay. I'm sure to get it. Why am I dreaming about these guys all the time? Well, it must be a sign. It must be a sign that you are Can going to win. Can I just ask you one more question? Yep. You know, they said the fixture was come. The fix, fixture had come out yesterday. I went mm. all the way to get the paper, and there was nothing about the fixture. Do you know when it, is it coming out in the paper? In today, so you picked up the paper today, and there was nothing in it. No, I picked it up yesterday because they said. Oh the no! It came out came out yesterday afternoon at about three thirty. So it wouldn't have been in. It'd be in today's edition if, of the paper if Lovely. you go down to. So the I'll get the paper today. In the get meanwhile, today. I keep saying nice thing about Collingwood. All right, hard I not to say anything about say nice that. about the Maybe pies. Good on you, Susan. Appreciate it. Good luck uh, in winning the call of the year and that magnificent Toyota Hilux that Gary and Tim will be back to draw next month. Uh, Andrew's on the line. We're reading the Herald Sun this morning, and, and Ralphie reckons the Giants have got the best list on paper, Andrew. What do you think? Oh, no, no. Well, you would have to go with Colin because they won the premiership last uh, this year. Yeah, the the best team is the best list team would be the premiership team, and so they have the best. Ta- I mean, there's different but difference between talent. I mean, talent doesn't yes. always win you a premiership. You can have have the best coach, you can have the best system, you have the best culture, which does make up for a lack of talent. I mean, they got they do have guns everywhere. Do they have the best list though, Andrew? Do you reckon? Well, well. Look, um, it's it's in the eye. It, it, it depends. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends, doesn't it? Look, Brisbane. I think Brisbane's probably 
closer yep. to the best list. Definitely. Um, oh, they, all right. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I go. And GWS okay. would be close third. Um, That'd but, be. I think the yeah. Giants. The Giants got a really nice balance between young guns and older players that have still got still in their prime. So still got three, four, five years left in them, and are at their absolute peak. And then some young ones with the access to the draft. But I mean, twelve months ago, we definitely weren't saying that about the Giants. Amazing how your opinion can change off the back of one season. Mick joins us on the SEN app on the Gold Coast. Mick, what's your thoughts? Yeah, good morning, Kane. I'd like to work. Uh, I've got a couple of things. First, I've got another uh, member, and there's no games up here this year, which is very, very disappointing. Um, and my second point was in regard to your comment a few minutes ago about uh, the Victorian clubs getting a big advantage. It's not all clubs, mate. It's only those big before, you know. The, the Minnow yeah. clubs don't get too much help at all. No, so, I mean, Richmond have, have got a not as favourable one this year for the first time in probably six or seven years. They've only got two Thursday night games, no Friday night games, and they, oh, God forbid they have to go down Geelong to play uh, Geelong down there, but they're off the primetime stage and probably rightly so with their recent form. They still get 13 games at the MCG, Richmond, though. But, yeah, I think you know Collingwood have looked after. The Blues are the biggest winner this year. Um, well, I really like Geelong's draw. I think they've got a pretty favourable draw, Geelong. So the AFL, as I said yesterday, probably uh, impatient with them missing the finals in one year and they want them back in it. The biggest winner is Gold Coast, though. The the AFL are clearly desperate for Gold Coast to play finals for the first time. That was a couple of my winners and losers uh, out of the draft. Let's continue to take your calls. We'll go to Port Augusta and speak to one of my favourites, Johnny. Uh, Johnny, the Crows are just holding firm on not re-signing Matthew Nix yet. Is it the right call? I think it is, Jane, because um, Matthew Nix, they go on they bang on about him a lot, and all, and he's a great bloke. Don't get me wrong, he's yep. a great bloke, but he hasn't done anything with him yet. He has not done a bloody thing. Uh, and you know, I'm a poor man. I hope he gets across every time, but um, no, he hasn't done anything, Matthew Nix. Uh, he's got no runs on the board. Um, he hasn't made finals. I know they're rebuilding 2020 and all the rest of it, and and. Um, Norm Smith's going to coach that side in 2020. <laughs> but um, it's, very underwhelming. It's, um, it's a very underwhelming record. And uh, I think he's a little bit soft, to be honest. I don't know your thoughts. Yeah, but does he have... The, it's, a good, it's a good... It's a very good question. Does he have... Does Matthew Nix have the hard edge? Um on the, I mean, but but does Craig McRae have the hard edge? So that, that, is, it, is that the right way for new age coaches to be? Is he just symptomatic of that I've, I've seen him on the documentary that uh, amazon did i think it was have a crack at brad crouch he told him to pack his bags if he didn't want to defend but you don't see him fire up very often and is that hard edge needed now i mean you look through the premiership winning coaches most of them have that hard edge not sure craig mccray's got it but hardwick's got it scott's got it i mean they all the recent premiers and way back from the, the Dennis Pagans and Mick Moldhouses and Lee Matthews, they have all had the hard edge. Does, is it necessary now with the way that the modern athletes are? It's a good question. 043981116 that you've put on the agenda. Johnny, thanks for your call. Let's go to Dave. Uh, not a lot has been said about the Saints fixture. Dave, sum it up for us. Yeah, good day, Kane. Uh, great to have you. Uh, look, Oregon Saints have done pretty well um, themselves. They've got seven away games, uh, two of those also being against other Victorians, one in the uh, gather round and the other one down at UTAS. Um, we've also um, elected to have some MCG home games this year, which I think is 
could only be great for St Kilda. They a bit more exposure to the G and hopefully just elevate themselves a little bit. Um, I, I think also another full season under Ross Lyon, um, I think that's going to contribute huge to, to these young guys. And um, I just think, you know, I'm quite happy with that. And also you can look at the back end of the season. Um, we've got about three, three games in a row all that will be played at Marvel and then we'll have a few more games experience at the MCG is what you want at the uh, big end of the year. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, the bonus of playing West Coast twice, you get the two Thursday nights, the two Friday nights, and in terms of difficulty, uh, you only play finalists nine times uh, for the year, which, uh, along with the other finalists, is the equal lowest with Sydney. So difficulty-wise, it's nice, uh, good balance, and I reckon the Saints fans, you're right, should be pretty happy to continue on, hopefully, their charge. I'm not sure I'll have the Saints in my final. I think it's way too early to do pre-season predictions, but... Yeah, I've doubted them and was made to look a little bit foolish last year. I've got the feeling I'm going to doubt them again, and, and let's see if they prove me wrong again. It is Kane Corns in for Sammy Edmund for the captain's run. A really busy first hour. If you're just joining us, Tim Payne spoke about the performance from the Aussies last night through to another World Cup final. It was a thrilling game, remarkable turnaround of their campaign. They're on fire. They'll take on India, of course, in the final on Sunday. Heaps of your calls. We spoke about the AFL fixture. When is the right time to extend a coach's contract? And which team has the best team on paper after the Herald Sun reckons that the Giants have the best team on paper? Speaking of the Giants, Dave Matthews is their CEO. He's going to join us a little bit later on. Mick Ablett to talk about Monday's draft. Miles Fitzner. But on the other side of this, I want you to get involved in the Captain's Run Yearly Awards. It's my last Friday. We're going to give away some exclusive uh, awards on the other side of this. The weather today is for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Cloudy in the top of 18 in Melbourne. Of course, it's seven degrees warmer in Adelaide. Sunny, magnificent and 25 here, let me tell you that. This Captain's Run for State Transport. Our people are your solution. And for the Sports Bet Ballarat Cup book now, country.racing.com.ballarat. The awards are next. Big couple of hours coming up. Kane Corns in for Sammy Edmund for the Captain's Run today. It's all thanks to the good people at State Transport. They are our people and your solution. And for the Sports Bet Ballarat Cup book now, Country racing.com.ballarat Still to come on the McCafe menu, our awards. We're going to do that actually very, very shortly in a matter of moments. Dave Matthews from the Giants, Mick Ablett, Miles Fitzner. Uh, our McCafe is the official coffee partner of the program. It's time now for this. Lovely work. <laughs> Some Oscar-style music for the Captain's Run Awards. I do like to do this at the end of every sort of year before I go on leave. Now it's my final Friday today. I've still got Sports Day from Monday to Thursday with Jared next week. But last Friday, um, so let's give away some of the awards for the AFL season and the world of sport this year. Now I want to start with... The Glenn Maxwell Award for the best individual performance of the year. And there were so many. Like the, the amount of great games we saw from forwards who, yep, they kicked big bags of goals against poor teams. But, you know, Toby Green was enormous. Nick Dacos produced some unbelievable performances. Some of the intercepting defenders. James Sisley against the Saints was unbelievable. Zach Butters was on fire in that wet game against Melbourne on that night. But I have, and how could you go past Bobby Hill for his Norm Smith medal performance 
it was extraordinary. Like one-on-ones, speed, excitement, finishing ability, pressure. So he wins the Glenn Maxwell Award for the best individual performance of the year. one 736 736 if you've got a different view on that. Who, for you, had the best individual game this year? And it can be across any sport as well. I've given it to named it after Glenn Maxwell. He, of course, could have been involved a couple of times through his heroics, not falling off the golf cart, but for his uh, double ton and, and fastest century and all of that. So he could be a nominee as well. Let's move on to the Victor Wembanyama Award for the player with the brightest future. Has the game ever been in better shape with young players? That's what I want to ask you today. We can be critical of the AFL at times, and I can certainly put my hand up for that, and I'll, I'll call it out when it needs to be. But right now... The future of the game is in great hands. Well, we've got budding superstars everywhere. If you look at the Brownlow medal count, the amount of 23 or under years of age players who got huge votes, Noah Anderson, Errol Goulden, Zach Butters, Horn Francis got 16, Tom Green is building, Nick Dacos, second year. So... I don't know. I just love the fact that the, the game is in such good hands. Will Ashcroft, Harry Sheasel, Gould and Green, Harley Reid, if you believe the hype. But who's got the brightest future? The Victor Wembanyama Award. He's the new number one pick in the NBA. This sensation that you would have seen for the Spurs. Seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan, just doing crazy things. Nick Dacos, I don't know if there's ever been a player with a brighter future than him. So he's won the Victor Wembenyama Award or the Wemby Award. He wins the Brownlow next year, doesn't he? Like if he stays sound, good competition, as I said, with those players getting huge votes. Hugh McCluggage is another one. Um, but you would just love to be Nick Dacos. See that he's in uh, New York at the moment with Bailey Smith. Just magnificent. And the way that he carries himself uh, could could not find fault with Nick Dacos. So in terms of a bright future, uh, he wins that award. The Allen Border Medal uh, is awarded to the game's best leader. And I wouldn't have said this three years ago, two years ago, one year ago. Toby Green's the best captain in the game and rightly recognised with All-Australian captaincy. And who would have thought um, Who would have thought that uh, he would be leading the Giants the way that he is? Now, a year ago, well, I remember speaking about it during trade radio, I thought maybe it's the right time for Toby Green to leave the Giants. They'd lost... Taranto and Hopper off the back of Cameron and the other players that had left. And I thought, he's 30, 31 years of age, Toby Green. Is he ever going to win a premiership at the Giants? Should he go to a big Victorian club and try and win a premiership in Victoria? He didn't do that. And now he's as good a shot as anyone of leading um, a team to a premiership with how close that they got. So um, I just think it's one of the best footy stories I've seen from where Toby Green has been. I love watching him play. I think he's a top three player in the game and, Right now, he's the best captain, so he wins the Allen Border Medal Award. one 736 The Robert Downey Jr. Award is awarded to the player that all is forgiven. Robert J Downey Jr., the All is Forgiven Award. A couple of nominees here, but only one winner. Jordan Ngoi. So, not that long ago, Collingwood had handed Jordan Ngoi a $25,000 fine suspended until the end of the 2022 season as the club called his actions in Bali not acceptable regardless of consent. They condemned Ngoi's behaviour during the club's mid-season buy and expressed disappointment in the way it demonstrated disrespect towards women um, and there was the thought that he may leave the pies at the end of last year and there was even a thought 
that they may not offer him a contract at one point. Well, now we've forgotten about it. Best on ground in the prelim against the Giants in one of the better individual performances that, that we've seen. He's a premiership hero. The images in the change rooms with his grandma with a premiership medal around her neck were sweet and they went viral. And we've all forgotten about it. So he is one nominee, but how could you go past? And this is the winner of the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Award, Taylor Walker. Just over two years ago, Taylor Walker fronted the media in tears uh, after he racially vilified Sample player Robbie Young. The AFL suspended him for six weeks. Adelaide was uncertain whether he would even play again for them. To where he is now, named in the All-Australian team for the first time, the club wheels him out on all their social media to promote the club, and it has been one of the most dramatic turnarounds and rebuilt reputations that we have ever seen. So uh, Tex wins that one. This is my favourite. Moving on to the Brody Grundy Award for the worst long-term contract. And where do I start? I mean, this award could have been named after Clayton Oliver, but uh, I think Brody Grundy's was worth worse. We'll go to Brennan Cox. These are the nominees. Six-year contract extension through until the end of 2030. Brennan Cox got six years at Fremantle, if you missed that. Josh Rochelle at Adelaide, he signed until the end of 2029. And his teammate, Jake Saligo, is a, a nice player, Jake. I like the way that he goes about it. But he already had a contract until the end of 2025. And Adelaide have gone, hang on, you know what? 2025 is not enough. We're going to extend your deal until the end of 2029. Nick Blakey got seven years through until the end of 2031 at Darcy Parish. Well, the club tried to trick us and tell us it was five. It's really six. Uh, he's not a player that deserves six years. Ben Mackay, six years. He's going to be paid $1.5 in the first year. Not bad for a player who has never had a Brownlow vote and played in eight wins in his whole career. Joel Jeffrey, 16 games, four-year contract for the Gold Coast player who got dropped this year and then had a stress fracture in his foot, but he got four years. But the winner of the Brody Grundy Award for the worst long-term contract is Aaron Norton. How could you go past it? How could you go past Aaron Norton? He's got the eight-year extension, 2032. It's going to be a disaster for the Western Bulldogs. You can mark my words on that. The Nick McKenzie Award is awarded to the best journo. Now, we've got some good competition, and I know journos probably aren't your favorite people, but just bear with me with this. I uh, had some good performances from the journos this year. Caro had a good year. She broke the story about Stewie Jew. She was all over that. She got criticized fiercely. The club came out the next day and said, nah, she's wrong. Well, a week later, she was right, and she had that before anyone else. So uh, hard to go past Caro. She's an absolute joy to work with and fearless, and I, I really respect her for that. Sammy Edmund now, man. Not only does Sam Edmund break stories, but he hosts whatever radio show you'll ask him to do. He jumps in here, there, and everywhere. He's got a massive work ethic, and he broke some big stories. So I've got to give him some love. Mitch Cleary's just building really nicely, uh, like uh, his year, and broke some big stories again this year. And just one to watch is Xander Maguire on Channel 9. Oh, he's got a bright future. Thought I'd give him some recognition. But the winner is Tom Morris. I mean, what a turnaround. Who's was speaking about the All Is Forgiven Award. Well, he dropped the Damien Hardwick bomb. That ensured he won the Alf Brown. Now Channel 9 have created a new role for him as its chief footy reporter. It's a huge get for Channel 9. Uh, we'll see him bob up on Footy Classified, I'm sure, and, and maybe even the almighty juggernaut that is the Sunday Footy Show next year. So Tom Morris wins the Nick McKenzie Award for the best journo in football. The NFL Overtime Award for the dumbest rule in sports. 
Now, the rookie rules just have to change. Like, this is... So, the NFL overtime uh, rule has been adjusted slightly, but it, look it up. It's still ridiculous what happens in a tied game. The rookie list rules in the AFL would have to be the dumbest rule in all of sports. How a club can delist 31-year-old Chad Wingard or 31-year-old Sam Reid and put them back on the rookie list to free up some list spots and some cash is an absolute mess. So, uh, Laura Kane, Andrew Dillon, you've been really good to start and you've adjusted some things. You've cracked down on clubs taking the mickey with their injury list. You've made sure clubs need to jump through a few extra hoops to uh, sign players to those stupid long-term deals. You've got to crack down on the rookie list. It's got to be for players under the age of 23 who haven't been on an AFL list before, not the rubbish that we get uh, right now. This award comes with some audio. It is the Jared Healy or the Eddie Maguire slip of the tongue on radio award. And this happened last night. Get a load of this from Kim Dillon on SENSA last night. How do we get to cock out? Uh, you used to bowl some beautiful leg breaks and had a great googly. How do we get to cock out? <laughs> can, we, can we have one more go at that, please? I've got, it's too funny. How do we get to cock out? Uh, you used to bowl some beautiful leg breaks and had a great googly. How do we get to cock out? <laughs> oh, Kimbo. Uh, that audio, thanks to SENSA, the run home with Kimbo and the Rooch. And finally, as I've worked through my extensive awards, we'll send some trophies out to the winners. Of course we will, and some prizes. But the Adam Simpson, lucky I've got a contract award, goes to Luke Beveridge. So Adam Simpson is only in a job because he's got a contract and the club didn't want to pay him out. And I honestly can't believe, can't believe that he has survived. And we'll wait and see what happens in the early stages of next year. But if he didn't have a deal, he wouldn't be there. If Luke Beveridge didn't have a deal, he wouldn't be there either. So the club, as I spoke about earlier in the program, strangely extended his contract 12 months too early. Uh, lucky for Bevo, they did. He hasn't won a final in six out of the last seven seasons. Uh, they sensationally uh, capitulated late this year. They sacked everyone around him and they've just started a Peter Jackson-led review. This in the same week that most clubs have returned for pre-season training. So Bevo wins the Adam Simpson Lucky I've Got a Contract Award. And that concludes the Captain's Run Awards for another year. But now it is over to you. one 736 736 for Flight Centre's Big Red Sale. It's on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big. A few people, a few people are laughing uh, at the uh, Kim Dillon audio. Now, you remember that uh, Jared Healy had the slip of the tongue with the Gold Coast team. I was being interviewed by... Eddie Maguire after a game in 2014 in the change room. Then he wanted to say old campaigner, but it didn't quite come out as old campaigner. And we all knew what Kim Dillon was asking about Quinton. And we did get him out early due to a sensational catch from Pat Cummins. But uh, I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. And he had no idea. He had no idea he'd actually said it. In fact, he said it twice. Yeah, I've had my say. The Captain's Run Awards have been handed out, but they're mine. I want yours. And there's been Billy who's waiting patiently on the uh, the line for us. Bill, what's your thoughts? Yeah, morning, Kane. Yeah, just before I give you my nomination, um, the cock went back in pretty quickly last night. Um, <laughs> 
Indeed, didn't it? Um, yeah, my nomination, I know most people probably say Sam Kerr, but I think Mary Fowler had an outstanding World Cup uh, tournament. I think she's the next big thing. Yep, the, the uh, Victor Wembenyama Award for the player with a brighter future. Billy says, Mary Fowler, nicely done, Bill. Thanks for your thoughts. Let's go to Mornington and speak to Rob. We heard from Kim Dillon, who everyone is finding pretty hilarious, Rob, but you've got a foot-in-mouth award as well. Yes, someone who uh, definitely needs to learn to just drink in the privacy of his own home after uh, numerous stuff-ups, um, our favourite, Stephen May. Like, we're, we're, we're a better team than them. We, sh- we should have smoked them. <laughs> I like it, Rob. Uh, you know the other award I should have given away is the, the person who should put their phone away. Maybe the, the Wayne Carey log-off Twitter award would be a, a good award that I perhaps just thinking of now that would like to uh, would like to have a look at just those people that tweet when they probably shouldn't tweet. And we'll definitely name that after Wayne Carey, who made a fool out of himself more than once uh, this year. Let's go to Sam. G'day, Sammy. What's your thoughts? Yeah, good morning, Kane. I've got the Jack Nicholson You Can't Handle the Truth Award. You and the can't handle Gra- the truth! Yeah, it goes to Graham... It goes to Graham Arnold, who called out the PM for for funding for a Socceroos headquarters, saying that they they turn up to Matildas and uh, Socceroos games with their fresh new scarves. When they ask for funding, they go missing. Mm, it's not a bad point, is it, really? It was his 59th game in charge the other day, Sammy, last night, and that's the record for Graham Arnold. I mean, his reputation took a big U-turn this year as well. That did, yeah. Big 7-0 win to the Socceroos, and they're going forward. Yeah, good on you, mate. I must admit, I didn't watch a whole heap of it because I knew that it would be one-sided and the cricket was absolutely enthralling. Watched a bit of the NBL last night. Do you love the NBL at the moment? And the Wildcats, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, going to the 36ers tonight. I think the NBL's flying. But uh, the Wildcats made it uh, four in a row after a shaky start where they went two and five. So a pretty strong performance from them against Cairns last night. Uh, Pete is in Paran. Some people get upset when I talk about Luke Beveridge. Pete, are you one of those? No, no, not at all. Uh, firstly, I think that the cock, the, the cock comment is going to take over from Sandy Roberts, Leanne Dick uh, comment. Remember that one? Um, so I think that one's going to be the front runner from now on. On, on Beveridge, I just think uh, you, you made a point that he hadn't won any finals in seven years. I think he had. He has one of nah, his finals. Said, said one, one in uh, seven. That's fine. And and lastly, I'm just thinking Norton, the Norton Award you mentioned earlier. You just rename it to either the Golden Boy or the or the Midas Award because he's got the golden touch. That's for sure. He does. I'm, I chatted to Don Pike about this. So uh, we, uh, Jared and I had him on on Sports Day, and of course he's just the new CEO at West Coast. And the, the belief from all clubs is that, well, if we don't, and even Don said this, you get a little bit nervous, he said, but if you don't do it, you'll lose them. But I just wonder when clubs are going to be prepared to lose them. And it can't be every player, I get that. But look, I loved what Adelaide um, did with Tom Duda. Yeah, he, he wanted five, but he's had two knees. And they said, well, we're not going to give you five. And we are prepared to lose you for the sake of that. I thought it was a nice moment. And I wonder, as I've speculated a number of times, whether more clubs will do the same. But certainly there is some ridiculous long-term deals out there at the moment, and uh, none more so than your boy, Pete, Aaron Norton. Uh, Jimmy's back in Richmond. G'day, Jim. 
Yeah, mate, I've got uh, LeBron James for the Maxwell Award, still at 38 years of, of age. Yeah, the oldest player in the NBA is still pr- pr- putting up BOG performances two or three times a week. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's 38,387 points scored performance. So, mate, he's, he's, a, he's a Glenn Maxwell Award recipient, hands down. No doubt. We could... Uh create a new award named after LeBron James, the LeBron James Longevity Award. And uh, you look at Scott Pendlebury, really, he would be the winner of that. It is, I, see, I'm fascinated by this. If, if I was starting again as an athlete, I'd, I'd really look into longevity. I've, you know, Travis Boak's going to go again. I see what he's done for the last probably eight years where he takes off and, and does these performance camps overseas at the end of every year. And his performance at his age has been, um, you know, been terrific, really. And I respect all of that. I, I see what Novak Djokovic is doing. I know it's completely different with the wealth that those types of athletes have had. And LeBron James would be another one of those. Chris Paul is still running around for the Golden State Warriors now. And he looks good. Just players and athletes are playing longer. And there's something in it. I think it starts with a mindset. And I was completely cooked at the end of my career and mentally I couldn't stand doing it anymore. Physically, I was okay. But yeah, I just think we're going to see more AFL footballers playing longer and longer. Who would have thought that there'd be a, a club willing to go for the Todd Goldstein at his age? You know, just remarkable, really. And back in the day, you got to 30 and it was like, all right, this is all over. Um, now 30 young and we're seeing players play longer and longer. And LeBron James is a great example of that. Um, all right, a lot of text coming through. <laughs> Come on, let to read these. There's so many Quinton jokes coming through off the temper text. I'm reading them all and I'm laughing inside, but I'm just a little bit nervous. Kane, the cock only had one ball last night, says Murray. <laughs> Not bad, Murray. You're right. He was dismissed cheaply. I haven't had a lot of time to have you say on the fixture as well today. If you're just digesting it, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming when it just drops and you're working through all the 18 clubs. You go, what does this mean? Uh, how many um, Thursday night games are there? There's 14 in the first 16 rounds. The AFL are just holding fire on that. I think waiting for the ratings to come through, and I think it'll be largely dictated by what Channel 7 want. Is 14 enough? Do you want more Thursday nights? What do you make of the... <laughs> the gimmick of uh, Friday night footy starting 10 minutes earlier that everyone says is, well, not everyone. I think the fans saw through it, but the media had said was a huge win for footy fans. But then Thursday night footy is starting 10 minutes later. So that completely cancels each other out. Uh, anything that has caught your attention with a fixture, you can have your say. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. And Dwayne's on the road. He's done just that. What'd you make of the fixture, Dwayne? Yeah, Kano, two things, mate. The round zero thing is just, the AFL's way of not upsetting Carlton and Richmond. They're telling them they're getting the season opener in round one. That's all they're doing. It's just a, just a con job. But secondly, mate, what I ranked for was obviously Essendon fan. I know your theory on Melbourne clubs don't travel, but Essendon's fixture, we've been ordinary for a long time. Yep. Five of the first 12 rounds were interstate. That's just, I've never heard of that before, have you? Right. So I hadn't uh, had a close look at the Bombers. So one Thursday, three Fridays, uh, you got Sydney, the Saints, West Coast, Collingwood, Gold Coast, Adelaide twice, the Bayern opening round in round 14. Uh, so where are you off to? What is, is anything that struck you in, in terms of the travel? Of course, Gather Round is in there, so there's an extra one. Yeah, as I say, out of the first 12 rounds, you go to Adelaide twice, Optus, um, Perth, and I think it's uh, the Gold Coast. So, yeah, five. Just unusual. Like, 
I know you normally get four or five a year, but five in the first 12 rounds is, sounds extreme to me, doesn't it? Yeah. And do you know how many MCG games the Bombers ended up with? Oh, mate, they do. Obviously, they do play a lot in the back half of the season. The, the draw opens yeah. up. But it's just more the, the fact that the first 12 rounds, as I say, normally they, they go four or five times a year. But in the first 12 rounds, they're virtually... Yeah, incredible, really. Yeah, no, it is. But I guess the good news, as you say, if you get that travel out the way early and you can you know, split the you know, split the games or go 50-50 in that portion where you are travelling heavily and then come home hard with games at home, it's probably maybe a blessing in disguise for the Bombers to come home towards the finals hard. If they can, I was just going to look up the fixture, but it's just uh, taking a little bit of time to load. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to have your say on any of that, Bombers fans, what do you reckon? What did you make of your fixture? We haven't spoken a lot about you. Oh my goodness, you should see my text machine. It, it, it's all text relating to Quinton. Now, I've got myself in a bit of trouble from time to time from things I've said on the radio. We're having a bit of fun, and you guys are hilarious. Um, I'm seeing them all. I'm laughing at Gold Coast Crow. I've, I've seen it. I'm, yeah, it's uh, it's very funny, and you are very clever. Hello, Cooper Hamilton here, and I hope you're well. I'm here with you today with a giant story to tell. It's a story of Adam Kingsley and his side with a dream. This is a story of our Orange team. We can't wait for the fixture, and today it's finally here, which means just one thing: a new season is oh so near. So let's go through it together. The next chapter of our story. A new season. A new quest. For Maiden Premiership glory. Very clever stuff from Cooper Hamilton, who is a viral sensation out of the Giants and does a lot of heavy lifting on their social media. And uh, the Giants have one of the better social media departments in the league. Check out the full release of their poetry-related fixture on their social channels. Joining us now from the Giants is their CEO, Dave Matthews. Dave, thanks for your time again. Pleasure, Kane. I reckon you've been stitched up, Dave. Uh, I don't think you've been rewarded for the football that you've played last year. You've been shunned on the primetime stage, which is a shame. One Thursday night game, you cop an absolute brutal travel schedule again. Trips to Perth, Mount Barker, Sydney, Geelong, Tassie, Adelaide, Brisbane and Ballarat, would you believe? Are you disappointed? No, I'm not. I mean, personally, we're really pleased with the season we had. I thought it was fantastic the way Adam Kings and Toby Green and the the guys progressed their way through the year and you know, almost got into the grand final, obviously. And so um, we've got great momentum heading into 2024. And look, I know the fixture um, really is a, is a complex thing to put together. So we recognise that. But you know, Andrew Dillon uh, and his team have responded to um, you know, ongoing requests and, I guess, advocacy about starting earlier. So to get Collingwood... And to have the creation of opening round, I thought that was just um, you know, clearly Andrew Dillon's intent on trying to um, put his foot down in terms of the Sydney market. And we need events like that. So that opening round's fantastic. The Thursday night Anzac game in in, uh, in Canberra is going to be great. You know, we've got Carlton coming up in at Giant Stadium in the school holidays. Yeah, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned the number of venues we play at. Well, that's not dissimilar to this year. And we... Mm. Yeah, we do probably take the view you you can win anywhere, anytime. That's what Adam Kingsley's really drilled in, and we had a lot of success at a lot of different venues. So no, we're we're comfortable, and we're very very excited about the opening round in particular. 
Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that because, I mean, it has been criticised by some fans, I think largely those fans in Victoria who, who may feel like they're, they're missing it out. But, I mean, how big is it going to be up there and, and how important was it for your club to, to land this? I've sort of been a bit, bit bemused by the Victorian footy fans thinking they're missing out. It's not like there's been games uh, taken out of Melbourne. I mean, let's be honest, they sort of have a gather around 20 weeks of the year. So I think they're fine. I, I just think, what the AFL's, um, you know, the AFL's decision-making on this, I think, is now matching their aspirations. That the reason the Giants were started in the first place is to try to grow the game in Australia's biggest city. And and a, and a lot of times in, in years gone by, I think we've seen a real Victorian lens to fixture decisions and, and events decisions. Most of the events that have been traditionally created are, are Melbourne-based. So I think Andrew Dillon, to his credit, has basically... Um, bitten the bullet and said, I've got, I'm, I can see where uh, there's a real opportunity to, to get started early. And that's what you know, codes like the NRL do. We've been talking about this for several years. And he's made the decision. And I can see that it's you know, growth in Sydney is going to be a big part of his legacy and agenda. Mm. What do you make of Mason Cox's tweet where he says, the NFL goes to Las Vegas, the AFL premiers go to a showground for livestock day. Well, I can't imagine that's gone down too well. No, I don't think so. I mean, look, it's obviously, to be honest, it's D-grade comedy at best. Um, but, he, I mean, he's, I guess that's his thing. I, I mean, I, it's not, I guess it resonates with some people. I, I, I didn't see it. Someone showed it to me. And, you know, I guess our players and fans were looking, looking forward to giving him a warm welcome um, mm. when he does get here, assuming he's in the side. <laughs> Bit of extra spice. Uh, I like it. When is everyone back on deck? You'd have a bit of time up your sleeve for, for those players, wouldn't they? Yeah, we do. I mean, there's there's players who are, I'm just out at the club at the moment who are out just you know, staying in touch with their, their program and, and and in and around Sydney. I think it's also changed in that regard. Kane, it was not that long ago that a lot of our players in the break would head off um, to their home states or head away. There's a lot who are still staying around Sydney. So we've seen a lot of them and they're, they're very, very hungry. And I, I think it's, it's the fires in the belly after that one point loss in the prelim. And, you know, to start with Colling, as I said, not just as an opening round, but actually be playing against them and the rivalry we've got there. Um, you know, the players will come back in over the next three to four weeks. And the draft on, on Monday, 7, 16, 43, 59 and 71. What, what are you looking to, to bolster your list with? Do you see any deficiencies? It's hard to find some. Yeah, I think, I think Jace McCartney and the recruiting team have done a great job in the last few years to make some really hard calls and trade out some players and rebalance the list. So I agree with you. I think our profile is pretty balanced. Um, yeah, I'm, I think our recruiting team, and um, yeah, led by Adrian Caruso and and Jace will be well planned and be just looking to take best players available, I'd imagine. Mm. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of that work. They've done that work all year, but they've done a lot in the last few weeks with Adam Kingsley as well, casting his eye over what might be the needs for the future. So, yeah, we've, we've got a lot of confidence in our list strategy. Dave Matthews is the CEO of the Giants, always generous with his time. Dave, is there something to be learned from? I mean, it felt like, you know, 12 months ago, this time last year, you lose Hopper and Taranto and the Giants' exodus, and do they need to rebuild again? And I think we're all sort of guilty at, at looking at that on the back of Cameron leaving and, and perhaps a couple of others. But in the end, it was a blessing. You, you, you cleaned them up with, with the draft compensation that you got for those two. 
perhaps there were players that you didn't necessarily need. No one pace midfielders, with all due respect, and then the opportunity that gave for for Callahan and and Green in particular to get those midfield minutes. Is it is it a learning experience that sometimes losing players isn't all that bad? Yeah, I think so. I think you know the the change in player movement across the competitions something that people have come to accept and from time to time you do need to make hard decisions and I think you've you've got to be prepared at times to to let some players go who are probably establishing themselves but the decision as I said before to sort of rebalance the list and think about our salary cap position and just try to you know settle that back down and then yeah we always said this time last year I think when we spoke came we talked about the fact I don't at no stage saw this as a, as a rebuild. Oh. It was going to be a reset. And mm. Adam Kingsley's come in and, um, you know, and, and he's done a great job. And, and, you know, when we lost that prelim final, and Adam Kingsley had been at the club for less than 10 months. So I think we've got a lot to look forward to. And I think you've just got to try to make great decisions. There's some players that we've lost that you'd like to retain. And there's some players that have moved on for logical reasons. So I just think we've tended to be able to retain the ones we really... As, as a core part of the group and you know, I actually think this is a tighter group right now than we've ever had mm. what, what makes you say that? I just think there's I just think people can see that we're an established club that you know is, is very um, committed to trying to win on field um, you know, this, the, the playing group at the moment led by Toby Green you've got those older players like Green and Cornelio and Haynes and others who are mm who are hungry for success. And I think, you know, the, the culture that we've built here over a short period of time is, is very, very strong. And I, and I just see this tightness among that younger group as well, led by the likes of Connor Iden and Jack Buckley and Sam Taylor, and Tom Green, as you say. So there's the, one of the things I think is happening too, is, is a lot of the speculation about what our players are going to do is, is sort of settled down a bit in the last yeah. couple of years as well. I think a lot of people, see that you know, this is a great place to play footy. We're just about to embark on a $15 million upgrade to our TNA with an aquatic centre and broadcast quality lights and all sorts of things. So it's a great place to play footy. Uh, it's obviously a great place to live. I think I think uh, if you're an AFL player, living in Sydney is probably as good as it gets. Mm. What about the the untapped talent in Ireland? Like Callum Brown, we've, we've loved what he's done, the athletic traits that he's got. I mean, who knows what his ceiling will be in five or six years' time. Is that an investment that you'll look to go further with and, and invest in perhaps some more talent from there? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's an amazing story, isn't it, Callum Brown? And yeah, we, we would continue to keep an eye out in that regard, and obviously we want to do further work with our academy locally to find you know, more players like Kieran Briggs. So I, I think Callum Brown's great evidence came that under Adam Kingsley and the coaching group, I think almost every player improved or had their best season. I mean, Keneally had an amazing season as, a, as an older player. Green, the decision... Uh, to put Toby Green in as captain was absolutely vindicated. The, the patience that Jason and others have shown with Callum Brown has been vindicated too. So, yeah, we'd, we, you, you've got to be creative, I reckon, in relation to the talent that you bring onto your list, particularly with the prospect of the Tasmanian side coming in. I think you know, one of the challenges or opportunities for the game generally is we've got to grow the talent pool to be able to support a competition 
that's that big and you know players like Callum Brown are coming onto our list then then that's certainly a lever you'd need to look at. Yeah, I mean, you didn't even mention Jesse Hogan, who at times played career best footy under Kingsley there. Uh, Buckley as well. I mean, career best form. So uh, that's the art of coaching, to maximise what you've got and to get the best out of your players. Just final one from me. Has the AFL gone far enough with the soft cap? And how will you look to spend the extra money that uh, you've been uh, granted in that space? Yeah, look, I think I think it's been sensible what they've done. I mean, clearly the decision to bring in a soft cap in the first place help support equalisation. Um, and and then I think the cuts the cuts during the COVID period were probably in hindsight more drastic than they may may have needed to be. But you could mm. certainly understand the caution at the time. You know, it's getting back to a level that um, is more manageable from our point of view when a lot of the times we have to attract talented coaches from southern states and you've got to deal with cost of living and relocations of families and those sorts of things. So... I think it's certainly manageable and you know, Jason and, and Adam Kingsley are just working through where the program improvements uh, will continue to come from because as good a season as we had, you, you can't stand still and that's what I like about the way Jason and Adam are going about it. Mm. Dave, mate, I always appreciate your time. Love uh, catching up with you and good luck for the draft and uh, no doubt we'll speak in the lead up to the season again. Thanks, Kane. Cheers. Dave Matthews there is the Giants CEO. No complaints from the Giants about the fixture. I thought there may have been a few, but nah, they're wrapped with opening round against the Pies. There may be a little bit of extra spice in that one, which we like. Uh, and no complaints about their travel fixture as well, which was similar to this year. They turned up and they won everywhere. They're going to be hard to beat again. Dave Matthews, our guest. Uh, good, strong stuff from Dave Matthews responding to Mason Cox's tweet about the AFL heading to opening round. He's called the Giant Stadium a showground for livestock and upset that the NRL has gone to Vegas. Dave Matthews saying, well, might just add a little bit of spice to the game if if Mason, if Mason gets a game, which I loved, and uh, B-grade comedy. So we may replay what he had to say on that one. And which games next year have the most spice to them. Uh, I think the uh, I think the Gold Coast Richmond game will be interesting. I don't know whether it's got spice, but it's got uh, intrigue. Brody Grundy will play against Melbourne, but uh, I think largely that was left in, in pretty good spirit. So which games have you got circled that mean a lot to your club? Stephen May up against Collingwood after his comments at the best and fairest will be interesting to see if uh, he gets any extra... Any extra treatment, but uh, if you've got any circled, let me know. 043 It's the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. And for sports bet, the Ballarat Cup book now, country.racing.com.ballarat. We're absolutely flying in here. Loving your company and your input into the program. It's Kane Corns in for the captain's run for Sammy Edmund today, who is on breakfast one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We've spoken to Tim Payne. We spoke about the cricket last night. What a performance from the Aussies! Got to love a low-scoring, tight, tense ODI. Bit of rain around, pitch doing everything. Our fast bowlers came to play, as did our fielders. And then we had a crack at the the top of the innings. Got into some trouble through the middle, and then the the tailenders saved us late. India on Sunday night awaits. They're unbeatable. We can't beat them, but it's been an excellent effort to get there. He can have his say on that. Spoke to Dave Matthews from the Giants, who was pretty upbeat about their fixture and clearly their prospects ahead of 2024, but didn't miss on Mason Cox. I'll replay what he had to say about Mason 
uh, as we proceed through the captain's run. But the draft is coming up. What an exciting time it is for these young players who are about to live out their boyhood dreams, I'm sure. Mick Ablett is a draft expert. He joins us thanks to the all-new Cherry Tigo 7 Pro available now for just $39,990. Drive away. Mick, good to catch up again. Thanks for your time. Yeah, morning, Kane. Great to chat with you, mate. And as you say, it's uh, it's only just around the corner now. And I'm sure, mate, when you cast your mind back as a as a young fella, you've got um, I'm sure you'd have plenty of empathy and understanding for what these young men are, are about to come up against. Oh, it was unbelievable, mate. I didn't sleep for a couple of weeks, and I I made the a bad mistake of having the Channel Seven cameras live in my house. So back in the day, it was broadcast live on Channel Seven, and I had the cameras there, and they were just obviously capturing everything and I had to wait a little bit longer than I would have liked to have been drafted. So seven got that. And then you look back on the footage and you go, what were you thinking having them there? But uh, yeah, so I do, I do sympathize with with the players. Now you may be a little bit sick of talking about the draft, but it fascinates a lot of people. Just overall, the strength of it. How do you see it? Yeah, never get sick of it, mate. It's, um, you know, it's a great time and it's, it's always been a, a privilege to be involved in, the draft and with the young people coming through and, and then obviously seeing them go on to bigger and better things as, as per what your own career played out. But, um, yeah, mate, look, I, I get really disappointed when people talk the draft down. I just think for the amount of work that goes into it, both from a player's perspective, from, you know, their families and friends and those people around the talent pathways that put so much time and effort in, I... I do get a little bit upset when I hear people talk it down, but um, look, this draft's going to be as solid as any other, to be honest. I think from a positional perspective, I think you've got your tall defenders, you've got your tall forwards, there's a number of ruckmen, and then your variety of mids. You've, you know, you've got some guys that are sort of just hovering around the 180 centimetre mark, and then you've got some guys that are up around the 190 centimetre plus mark. So I, uh, I just think there's plenty in this draft for everyone, and and I think when we look back, you know, as per what we normally do in sort of three, four, five years' time, I think we'll be talking very highly about what's come mm. through. When you speak to clubs uh, now, is everyone sort of after that powerful forward half player? I mean, we, we talk about Dustin Martin, but take your pick, Petrarca, you know, the Isaac Heaney type, Cam Rain. I mean, there's there's a lot of players that can now do it. Is that the number one player that uh, teams now think makes a big difference? Yeah, you're spot on, Kane. I, this is where, in my personal opinion, I think the game's going. I, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the, the medical stuff. If, if it goes down the path of that being abolished at any stage and we go to just having five on the bench, we start to, the game starts to turn into a real power game and, and something that's going to be high intensity. And, and those names you just rattled off before... They're the sort of player that suits in a Jordan DeGoey type and, yeah. and those sorts of guys as well. So, you know, when you get to this draft and you start thinking of the Harley Reeds and the Colton Falstrups and these sorts of kids, it's, that's the challenge when it comes to list management and, you know, crystal balling a little bit as to where the game's going to go. But my personal opinion, I, I, I think that's the way it's going to head. I don't think it's going to become a real endurance type spectacle again I, I think it's more based around speed and power and, mm. and those sorts of guys are really going to come into their own yeah and if I mean every team will assess their own list and if you if you don't have one you go well we need we need one and we better find one and that's what they're paying big money for that's why teams wanted Jordan to go and 
and others when there was a possibility of him leaving. Is Zane Dersma that? I know he's a, a goal-kicking forward half player, strong overhead. He probably doesn't have the build yet that some of those names we've mentioned uh, do, but does he have the ability to one day be that? I think he's going to get an opportunity. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I'm a great believer in which some of these young players, and you mentioned, like, Zane's a very, very talented forward. He's got an outstanding vertical jump. He's got, you know, beautiful balance and, and poise in the way he plays. So he's really made his name up in the forward line. He was a captain of the uh, the Coach League Team of the Year. And right at the moment, he's probably more likened to a Mark Lacroix type of player where he currently sits. But yep. you know, I've seen a lot of these guys get into AFL clubs. And then, you know, once they're around guys... You know, like a Dustin Martin, like a Jordan Degoe, that they can actually learn from and and um, and really, you know, build their repertoire around. I think we see them progress into into those sort of players later in their career. So there's nothing to say that Zane won't get to that level. Um, he's probably not that player right at the minute, but um, but yeah, look, I, I think he's going to get some exposure to the midfield at some stage. So the player that fascinates me most, and I, I just wonder whether he's going to be a bit of a slider, is is Nick Watson. So I've, you know, Matty Lloyd's been speaking about him for ages on the uh, when I sit next to him on the Sunday Footy Show for a couple of years, just about the, the tricks that he's got as a small forward and everyone coming to watch him and bums on seats from the, the school kids, and he's gone viral on on social media. But he's 170 centimeters, Mick. I, I personally regardless of how good he is, wouldn't you sort of a top four or five pick on a player that's 170? Is, is he the potential to slide down the order? It's a really interesting one, Kane, and I understand what you're saying. And, and, you know, when guys like yourself and myself talk about players, and it's a personal opinion, and, and that's what recruiting is. You, your opinion is going to be different to the next person, the next person. But I can certainly see... The concern, I mean, when you look back over recent times at small forwards, I think of Cody Waitman, who's probably one of the better small forwards yep. of recent times. And, you know, Cody was pick 14 uh, back in his draft year. So, you know, when you're looking around that mark, you can understand the selection. Um, and for Nick Watson, look, there's nothing else Nick could have done over the course of the year. He's an outstanding mm. talent. He's, he's called the wizard for a reason. And, mm. um and he's got a you know a, a brilliant following, and, and rightfully so. I just my only concern with somebody for where the game's going at a you know at 170 centimeters, he's he's a, a very much a niche market type of player. Where as you mentioned, he's that small forward, and he's, he's one of the best at what he does. But a lot of the time, when you're looking at the players up around that real pointy end of the draft, you're looking for a little bit of flexibility. You're looking for guys that you know can maybe play a couple of different roles, whether it's a midfield forward or, or vice versa, or, you know, whether it's the big power forward. Um, you know, and they generally are a little bit bigger. So, look, I'm, the word around is that I know there's a couple of clubs that are very, very keen on him in that, that top half a dozen, um, you know, picks. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting watch as to... To what stage he goes, and look, it only takes one club, doesn't it? As we know, to, to take a real liking to a player and give him an opportunity and and call his name out. But um, yeah, he he is the outlier when you look mm. at the size and types of those in that specific part of the draft. But that's not to say he doesn't warrant being selected there either. 
Yeah, so I, I just looked at some players that can compare with his height. So Cozzy Pickett's 171, Watson's 170. Uh, Cozzy Pickett uh, was picked 12 in, in 2019 and, and Melbourne identified him and, and you know, traded up to, to get him in the trade period. But he's got serious wheels, doesn't he, Cozzy Pickett? Different type of player. So I'm just fascinated to see which club goes there and does he have the potential uh, to slip down the order. Hey, we saw everyone looking for a key defender in the trade period, like just paying huge bucks for, for key defenders. And everyone wanted one to the point where, you know, Port Adelaide cough up a big deal for Radigalia. We know about Ben Mackay and others. So who's the best key defender in the draft? What doesn't a club just go and draft one? Yeah. Yeah, they generally take a bit more time, don't they? And, and you know, clubs that are in the window, if you look at Port Adelaide and, you know, and even sort of where Essendon's list is at, and we can argue all day whether Ben Mackay was worth what he got paid yeah. and worth the compensation pick for North Melbourne, but at the end of the day, he's right place, right time. And I, I never detest a player that, you know, gets paid. If someone's willing to pay and, and offer the money, then, um, then good luck to him. But... Um, well, I think the best player, Shane, to answer your question, is as a key defender in this particular draft is Connor O'Sullivan. He's, uh, he's 198 centimetres, 92 kilos, and he just attacks and slingshots from deep at, at every opportunity. He's got an ability to really take the game on, runs really well. He ranked eighth in the 2K time trial at the, the, uh, the National Combine, and, mm. you know... He's also, as much as I say, he slingshots and he runs and takes a game on, he's also got that knack to really compose himself at times and, and let the game unfold in front of him. Sums up the situation well. And, and uh, you know, he was an All-Australian at the, the Under-18 Championships. And for mine, I think he'll be the first one called when it comes to, um, to key defenders on Monday night. All right. Uh, the Dogs, I reckon they've been blessed in, in recent drafts through Hugo Hagen with the Academy and Darcy, who I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Sam Darcy. Now, Croft is the next one. I've, I've had a look at his highlights. He's a, I don't know, there's a bit of Nick Blakey about him, but there's a bit of Eric Hipwood about him when he plays forward. 201 elite speed, athleticism, skinny, of course. But the Dogs have got another one, have they? I mean, what, what's the talent upside with, with the father-son? Yeah, it's going to be amazing, isn't it, to see what the dogs do with their actual lineup. When you, you know, Jordan Croft is going to end up at the Bulldogs. Let's make no mistake. And you know, he's a very, very exciting talent. He kicked twenty-three goals in eleven games in the in the Coach League, and it was his ability on the run from outside fifty, which which I really liked. When you sit back and watch his vision and and you look at how he plays, he's very, very dangerous from around that 50-metre mark. And mm. you know, as you mentioned, he's an elite runner. He finished fourth in the 2K time trial at the time of six minutes and five seconds, which is absolutely flying for anyone, let alone a guy that's over 200 centimetres. So you know, when you start to look at Rory Lobb, as you mentioned, Sam Darcy, Aaron Norton, Jamara Hugel hagen um, they've got plenty of height, the dogs, and then you throw Jordan Croft in as well. I'm really interested to see what Luke Beveridge does with that mix. Um, whether any of those guys transition to a, a centre-half back type role. Um, but geez, a nice problem to have. But, but Jordan Croft and, you know, I love the romance of the father-sons. I don't think that's a rule that we should ever change. I know there's a lot of lot of conjecture about, um, you know, next generation academies and the northern academies and the like. But, um, you know, father-sons are a, a really... A really established, loved part of the game that we should never ever touch, and it'd be great to see Jordan Croft make his way to the Western Bulldogs, and 
follow in the footsteps of his father. Mickey Ablett is with us on the Captain's Run talking all things uh, Monday's draft. What about the frenzy of trade? Oh, I'll call it a frenzy. I hope it's a frenzy of clubs trading picks on the night. Are we going to see some action? Yeah, yeah I think we will. I, I definitely think we will. I, I don't think it's 100% locked in, I think, in terms of what's happening with pick one just yet. It really? Tell me, more, tell me more about that. Is there, is there oh, still just, a chance, is there? Well, I think... I think it'd be silly if um, if the door was closed just yet. I mean, it's highly likely that the West Coast Eagles do retain pick one, but you know, North Melbourne have got an absolute cachet of picks. I know Melbourne are still keen to um, to work their way further up the order, and if you look at you know what they've got with pick six and eleven, and then you've got the ability to trade future picks. So, I just think there'll still be some offers come late for that pick one, and it's going to be interesting to watch that unfold. Um, and I think there'll be plenty of trading. I, I, the Fremantle Dockers are another one. If you look at their suite of picks for, for 2024, they're in a really strong position. But in this year's draft, they don't come in until pick 34. So I'd be surprised if we don't see the Dockers work work the phone pretty hard to push their way up the order as well. And you know, and then you throw into the mixes to to where the bits come on the Northern Academy players, such as Jed Walter and. And Ethan Reid and Jake Rogers and, um, you know, even Will Graham that we haven't really touched on, another Gold Coast Suns Academy player that um, that I think will feature, you know, somewhere in the back end of the first round of the draft. He's very, very talented. So that certainly shakes up the order as well. And um, I think night one is going to be going to be a very, very interesting night. And I think we'll probably see, you know, maybe 25, 26 picks in that first round after all the bids come in and, and the trades get done, and the father son. So it's um, it's going to be one to watch, and it's going to be one that you're going to have to watch carefully to to, um, to get your head around what's actually happening and and who's moving mm. and shaping where. We'll be doing that. Is is there anyone that believes Jed Walter is the best player in the draft? Like is there, if he was on the just the open pool and not an academy player, would there be some talk about whether he's rated one above Harley Reid, or it's just? Read and then the field after that. No, I, I, I 100% agree with that, Kane. I think Jed Walter, if he was in the open draft, it'd be a very, very interesting decision. Jed Walter's got ties to WA. Um, yep. He's and in this particular draft, when you you're talking the West Coast Eagles and their needs and mm. and what it looks like, and look at the end of the day, the, the go home factor. I know nobody likes talking about it, and we can get criticised a lot for this, but. It's also reality. There is there is pull, and, and particularly for interstate players, you know, to stay home or return home. And, look, if it's an open draft, I think the conversation would be going right up until the death knock as to, to what the West Coast Eagles would do, whether it's the power forward that's performed for two years straight at the Under-18 Championship. He's performed at state league level when he's played for the Suns VFL team. You know, and then you've got Harley Reid, who you know we've had numerous conversations about, and, and some his praises as a generational talent. But you know, those two boys deserve equal billing, in my opinion, in terms of uh, the debate over who who really deserves to go as the number one pick. All right, are Port Adelaide even going to bother sending anyone to the draft, Mick? Oh, what a what a poor draft hand. I'm not sure anyone's had a worse draft hand than my team, Port Adelaide, 69-83-87. They just send Jeff Parker there and the rest can stay home, can't they? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. <laughs> I've, 
a very got a lot of respect and a very uh, good friend <laughs> of, of Jeff Parker's and and also Cripper as well. And the amount of times I've sat with Parks before a draft and um, and he's just shaking his head. Poor bloke gets um, <laughs> it's always picks out the back end and Cripper stitches him up year after year with what he does in trade series. But um, look, they've got a fantastic record, Kane, and I know they haven't got the ultimate success over recent time, but. Um, you know, I think when you look at the work that that recruiting group has done and the position they've put the footy club in, um, you can't argue that they've got a great record through the trade period and through the draft with who they've been able to bring into the footy club. So it, it is going to be interesting. I'm hearing a number of clubs through rookie upgrades and the like may mm. only take one selection mm. at the draft and, and that then lends itself to, um, to obviously... You know, a little bit of a decrease in numbers to what we've seen in previous years, but, you know, that also comes as a result of clubs leaving spots open, uh, the pre-season supplemental period, the mid-season draft and those sorts of things. So, you know, I, don't, I think there'll be a couple of clubs, mate, that we won't see a great deal of over those couple of days, but, um, you know, each to their own. They've got a different way of going about it and building their list, which is reflective of, um, of what footy is in the modern era. Love your work, mate. Love your passion for it. Uh, you've been doing it for a long time now and appreciate the chat today. Good on you, Kane. Keep up the great work, mate. And all the best to all the young men over uh, Monday, Tuesday night. Absolutely. Mick Ablett there on the captain's run. That's thanks to the all-new Cherry Tigo 7 Pro SUV. Looks good too. I just had to Google that. I wasn't fully familiar with the brand, but looked at it. Very nice looking SUV there. So if you want an affordable car for $39,990, check out the all new Cherry Tigo 7 Pro. And don't forget, Sammy Eben, as I mentioned, doing a power of work this year. This is your journey on Sunday as he chats to champion triathlete Emma Carney there. All thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives. He's got his own opener. The magic man himself is Miles Fitzner. Fitz Magic, thanks for your time. Hello, Kano. How are you, mate? We're here for the ultimate celebration, the Osborne Rooftop and Bar Commercial Road, South Yarra. What happens after the Melbourne Cup, Fitz? I mean, does it settle down a bit for you or not? Well, you go to the Osborne Rooftop most of the time. That's where we had a drink out of the cup last <laughs> year. But um, it, look, after this week, it does start to quieten down. Oh, the pinnacle started Ascot. Um, tomorrow. So we fire up in WA. And so most of the form analysts get to take a break, but the guys that like to, to do five states, of which I like to do, then mm-hmm. it's sort of you go into another carnival and then that sort of semi rolls into maybe Adelaide and then you're into the autumn and then you're into... So you don't really get a break unless it's sort of June, July. But um, this is kind of the end of it here for Melbourne though this weekend. All right, I'm, I'm, you're going to stick around for after the news headlines. I, yes. I hope you're okay to do that. Yeah, I am. I want to ask you about, so I love high performance and preparation. And I, now, not not that I don't think you're a high performing athlete, Fitzy, but I love your high performance at your craft and your preparation. And, I, and I, I say that honestly. So I want to ask you and pick your brain about your prep, what goes into it, how many hours you spend on it, and then at the end, uh, I'm going to get you to find us a tip or two. But just before the news, what is your favourite racetrack around the country? What What's the best racetrack in the country, according to you? Yeah, the favourite racetracks are the ones that you have the most success. So probably Sandown for me, um, both Sandown tracks. 
um, and Ascot in WA are probably the two that I find um, over the last 10 or 12 years of keeping my stats that I'm most successful. I do tend to go okay at Ramwick, um, but they're the two, Sandown and, and, and Ascot. And you seem to have better tracks you get a read of. Oh, I'm not a great judge of leaders, um, so mm. I steer clear of Mooney Valley and a few of those sort of sort of tracks. But, um, yeah, you have your favourites, but it just depends on what suits and how you do form. And when you build it up over enough period of time, it sort of it tells you rather than you telling it, if that makes any sense. All right, Fitzy's a man of the people. So if you want to have your say and ask him a question, I'm not the racing expert, clearly. That's why we've got him on. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. He's more than happy to speak to you. Going to ask him about his prep. No one puts in more time into his craft than Fitzy, which I love and respect. Fitzmagic is here with us. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the open line number. Heaps of texts coming through. We'll work our way through those in the next half an hour or so. For 40 winks, the Temper Text, the all-new Temper Pirate Pro is Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. It's here. It's a mattress like no other. So, Fitzy, you do long stints on air, and to do that, you need to be prepared. What does your preparation look like so you can give the punters what they want? Uh, well, to, to sum up a week, on, I suppose with Wednesday trackside, I'm still doing five cards on a Wednesday. So that'll start probably Monday afternoon and most of the day Tuesday. Uh, to, to prep for the card. So that's replays uh, and doing your form. I essentially do three drafts. So one's uh, the first look with horses that I've either black book recognised or taken out of the races before. Then mm-hmm. the secondary look is uh, I'm going back through the replays um, and trying to line up the races that I want to tip in. Um, so, so uh, And then the third look is, is the final draft where I'm putting my final numbers in. Am I playing yes or no? So I run sort of three books. I still do it by hand. I don't do it digitally. Um, a card, depending on whether or not you're across the pool of horses, I mean, it's a bit like footy. The more you're in it, the more you know. Um, yeah. So um, when you're right in it, in the thick of it, they take you a bit less. But a card can take me sort of anywhere from two to four hours. Um, so if you do five, it can take anywhere from 10 to 15, sometimes 16 hours. But this time of year, you put lines through races. So to give you an idea for this Saturday, there's around 48 races that I've looked at. Um, I'll, I'll probably tip in about 33 to 35 of them. I'll tip. Yeah. Uh, and of the 33 to 35, I'm probably betting in close enough to about 20. So um, th- that's where a lot of people will come for me, you know, saying, oh, if I pick, f- I'm going to give you five best from the five states uh, at the end of this. And, and more than likely, those five best are going to be five favourites. Now, because they're the, the five best of 35 races. So... Um, I'm not going to go and give you $10 pops because I'm, I'll be tipping them on air, but they're not the best or don't have the most likelihood of winning. So yeah. um, that's where it's hard to explain sometimes to the average punter. I, I get hate mail probably just as often as you do. Um, tell, me, tell, me, tell me about that. What what uh, People give you grief for ones you've got wrong or they say it's too obvious. Like, oh, it, it's a bit – a lot of people probably think that if you go and tip five best, they're the five favourites, I could have picked that. Well, that's okay, but – You've actually got to put your money where your mouth is and, and, and probably declare them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, someone just said then off the text, Miles's prep is copying other experts' best bets and then claiming them as his own. I mean, you just cop it all the time, mate. <laughs> That's coming straight away. It's well, a, well, welcome to the world. Uh, right? it's, you, and look, you wouldn't and, be doing your job if you weren't getting some well, strong feedback. Well, and that's the whole thing. And, and look, I wouldn't be here if, if it hadn't worked over the last three years, let alone the last 12. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's really easy, um, nameless accounts, as you know, Okay, no, I don't yep. complain. Um, there's plenty of people that like backing them that have made money off them, and I think my record speaks for itself. 
So why have you resisted going digitally? I know we're getting to the nuts and bolts of your prep here. Why, why are you still doing it by hand and with a, with a pen and paper? Well, well what I did was I, I started to probably try to use a rating, um, some rating system um, which would give me where horses were in run um, and then what they would run on a peak or a benchmark figure. And I tried to incorporate that to save time, but I found that my results actually dipped. Um, and, and I don't know whether or not I just didn't stick it that long enough, but you've just probably got to back your eye. And growing up around mm. it my entire life and racing horses my entire life and my family doing it, that that sometimes your eye's as good as any. And, and I think when I just probably stick to just straightforward eye, um, that's when you're better off. Um, there are days I jump on air on a Sunday where I haven't been able to catch up and I tell the listeners, look, I've got probably two or three meetings here I wasn't able to do and we do them on the fly and some days we go well and some days we don't. But now, those that follow it and know and understand, uh, they're not the ones that come for you. It's always, you know, as Mark Fine once said, it's always the people sleeping in their mother's basement that will never own a lawnmower outright, Kane, that, that are the ones that complain. <laughs> Did I, didn't Cam Luke carry on? On uh, SEN track with tipping the Melbourne Cup. Well, he's getting a bit of a head of himself. No, no, no. Do you pull him back in the line or what? Was absolutely not. Now, we're in the entertainment what? business too. So we cop what? some heat where they say you carry on about a, a pop. But you remember Cam Luke's declared that as he's got a Melbourne Cup ticket at $27 in June. So the hardest thing to do in racing is to get a futures ticket a long way out and beat the market, and that's what so he what did. What was it paying like before it jumped? What did it come into? I think he got ten bucks. I think he got twenty seven dollars, and it was nine dollars on the day. But he but he came out and put his money where his mouth was, three or four months out, and said, you know, I think a couple of years ago I had Mass Crusader in the Everest that at fifty one dollars that ran second by a Pip to Nature Strip. And I'd said that six months earlier. And, I mean, if you wanted to see Carry On, you would have seen it. But, I mean, I would have also won a small Caribbean island if it had got home. So, Well, he just put up on his socials that he's just ducked off to L.A. So has is he, is he spent his winnings on an overseas trip? Has uh, he pro- prob- probably. Probably. Wow. And right. see, well, see the good the with the bad. Game. Someone said you've picked the first five winners at Ascot Derby Day. Well, I told him not to bet at Melbourne, but... People don't listen. That's that's what well, it's all about. The, the, the trick I've got to tell you, I've been doing it just a just a touch longer. Than, you just ignore the text. Like if, I mean, sometimes you need a pad, and the, the texts are great, but you don't get captivated by the text. It's too distracting. If you read out every text and you're looking at everyone that came through, it's too distracting. They're just there as a tool, Miles. You don't you don't need to get distracted or get. Uh, Defensive off the text line. Yeah, well, what what I try to do is I'm because I'm from the country, Kane. You, I try to be involved in. You, you want to know about people, and I know about people that are yeah, doing it. You're you a know. man of the people. Yeah, well, that's what. And so, if you text, it's sort of a bit like Dwayne. If you text in, I'll read it, and that's where on Sunday we spend most of the show reading the text. But the listeners make the show, so yeah, it's not yeah. even. I'd we, rather we, I'd rather them ring though. I'd much rather you ring one three hundred seven three six seven three six. You've got your own SEN number and, and get them on and speak to them that way. Otherwise, I think it get, just gets a bit distracting off, off the text. We love the text, but they're just there as a tool and, and not to be distracted by. All right. What, what what are we looking at this weekend? Give us your best. Right. I'll just go quickly. Thousand Guineas is wild. Kamachi and Arctic Glamour, you can take them over. You're seven fifty ten dollars Call Volante and Skybird are too easily picked. Um, most can look at those, but I'm going to take value in, out and around it. Uh, I'll go to the Sir Rupert Clark. I am me each way. The two I am me. Two dollars ninety. The place is rogue as horse that ran in behind Imperatrice, which I took on at a stupid price. Um, Eight fifty and two ninety. I'm with I am me there. And back to the Blue Sapphire. I'm with um, Brave Mead to beat Arkansas Kid. So they're the features. We'll go to the bests. Um, and look, you can 
say what you like or play where you want. I'll start at the Sunny mm. Coast. Race 10, number one, party for two. Uh, Sunshine Coast, 10-1. We go to Caulfield, race 10, number two, She Dances. We'll be well found there. The rest of the racing's pretty difficult, um, but it'll be well found. Most people will have it. Uh, Newcastle, race five, number 12, I'm in to win. Up at Newcastle, race five, number 12, I'm in to win. At Morfordville, I wanted to see where this horse was going to run, and it is going to go to Morfordville. It's currently 2-10. It'll start a lot shorter than that. Race two, number four, Poison Chalice. And then at Ascot, we go West. West is best this weekend, too. We've got a preview coming up on the Form Lounge. Race two, number two, special sort. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've never been, managed to find a special sort myself, Kano, but uh, <laughs> hopefully special sort, sort will get us She's done. She's out there. For, She's uh, out no, there no, no. I found a very good one of late, a very, very good one good. of late. So, right. But they are, they are the best. And if you're having one tonight, I've had a small nibble on Sands Doot, race eight, number two. I know the listeners like one on the Friday night, especially on this show. All right, where can we hear you over the weekend? Uh, well, um, Form Lounge now 12-1. to 1. On the weekend, I'm not sure yet, but I might be doing winners in the morning for Gareth. But Trackside tomorrow, 12-6. till 6, And then on Sunday, 11-6 through till 6 for uh, the Betfair Edge and Trackside again. So big weekend of racing coming up. The SEN track team are flying. What's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. And I told you Miles was a man of the people. Steve has sent us a text. Corn, you're right about Miles. He's a genuine man of the people. He gave me a call during COVID lockdown when I was doing it tough and said if there's anything he can do, give him a bell. And he will always be grateful for that says Steve. Outstanding, mate. Keep up the good work. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Kano. Thanks for having me on, and thanks to the listeners. Look after each other. It's a festive season. Beautifully done, Miles Fitzner there. You'll hear him with the magnificent SEN track team. To be honest, it's D-grade comedy at best. Um, but, he, I mean, he's, I guess that's his thing. I, I mean, it's not, I guess it resonates with some people. I, I didn't see it. Someone showed it to me, and, you know, I guess our players and fans are looking, looking forward to giving him a warm welcome. Um, mm. When he does get here, I assume he's in the side. <laughs> it's about as good a response as you could expect. Um, Dave Matthews' beautiful response to Mason Cox's tweet about heading to take on the Giants at Giants Stadium for opening round. D-grade comedy and just uh, pondering whether Mason will actually be be in the side, um, and that has gone off on our social channels as well. You can check that full story out on the Captain's Run on Twitter. We are nearly out of time. It's a huge show. I appreciate your company. Uh, Mickey Ablett was great on the draft. Dave Matthews, you just heard from Tim Payne, spoke about the cricket and the Aussies' performance last night. And are India beatable? He reckons they are, but also said that they don't have a weakness and early wickets will be the key. Hopefully a, a pitch and conditions that the ball swings around a little bit and moves off the seam. Not sure we'll get that, though, with the India requesting whatever pitch they want. Uh, and your calls were terrific as well. Still time for you to have your say if you would like to. Kathy's on the line. Kathy, what do you make of the Saints fixture? Very happy, Kane. Very happy. What Lots impressed you? Well, last nine games, eight being at Marvel. That mm. sounds all right to me. That's a nice lead into the finals, good. isn't it? Well, if they're up and about and then they have nine, well, eight games at Marvel, I'd yep. be expecting them to play finals. What do you think, Kane? Uh, well, Kathy, I don't 
It's too early. Can I? I, I got burnt <laughs> last year. I was too negative on the Saints. I said bottom four. They made me look foolish. I said I was wrong, and Ross was great. I don't know if I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm gonna, in my holidays. I'm gonna have to have a think about it. Am I gonna double down on that and go again, or am I gonna come around? I didn't think they have a had a great trade period. Like I like I like Liam Henry, but they lost a couple as well. So. Hold, I'm just going to hold fire, Kathy. I'm not going to get sucked in just yet. Too early. Sounds a good idea, Kane. All right. If good, you need can, any help, I, give me a yep. call. Okay. All right. Well, I love it when you call in uh, to the programs that I'm on. You're always pleasant. You always make sense. And thank you for doing that today. So, Kathy's a very happy Saints fan on the back of their fixture. Eight of their last nine games at Marvel. Um, and we'll see where that leads them to. Can they, uh, can they win a final next year? A lot of reaction to Dave Matthews on Mason Cox and and most people loved what he had to say. Uh, Our F1 update is thanks to Shell V-Power, fueling the racing feeling with the Shell V-Power racing team. Now, the F1 round that we've all been waiting for is heading to Vegas. Uh, The F1 uh, Grand Prix hits the streets of Vegas this weekend thanks to Shell V-Power, fuel the race day feeling. There's everything happening in Vegas. How good's that cube look? I was there this time last year, and it wasn't ready. I was spewing about that, so definitely got to get back there. Um, and, of course, of course, there's that Allianz Stadium. It's the best stadium I've ever been to. It's indoors, but you feel like you're outdoors. Honestly, I've never seen anything like it. Um, the big F1s fly over the top of this see-through roof that they've got there. The best stadium I have ever been to. Vegas is great, um, and, well... The Anarella heading there, we're not, but uh, good luck to them. Now, there's a magnificent uh, NFL game about to get underway, and usually the Friday games or Thursday night, if you're in America, are terrible, but this one is a good one. It's the Bengals up against the Ravens, both with a good record. Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, the quarterback, is starting to feel better after having an interrupted preseason with his calf, and Lamar Jackson and the and the Ravens defense doing big things. So that's about to get underway. And if you want to watch it, the best place to do that is on DAZN. I've signed up for this. It's like the NBA's version of League Pass, but it's got everything. It's got all the shows that you want. Red Zone on a Monday morning is as good a product as you are ever going to find. So if you love your NFL and if you want all the documentaries, all the TV shows, Red Zone, all the games, visit NFLGamePass.com. Check it out. DAZN. D-A-Z-N. And I mentioned the NBL. I'm going to the NBL tonight. I'm heading to the Entertainment Centre. Uh, the 36ers are taking on the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Uh, the Perth Wildcats got it done last night, and they've made it four in a row. So the NBL, um, it is in a really good spot, and you can watch all of that, the Hungry Jacks NBL, live on ESPN. And my Sixers badly need a win tonight. It has been the captain's run. I've appreciated all your texts on the Temper text machine. Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. It's here. Temper, a mattress like no other. 